2: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, English and Spanish are the most commonly spoken languages in the U.S., but some see Spanglish, which blends the two, as the future. Latinx youth are embracing Spanglish in ways previous generations have not, in part because they were told it was unacceptable. We'll look at what Spanglish is, how it's being used, and what its growth and acceptance means for people with hyphenated identities. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The forum to not speak
3: is known as Kalo Ka. You local <laughs>
4: you're
2: a the blending of Spanish and English languages or the use of Spanglish is growing in ways that are bringing voice and power to younger Latinx generations. And in this hour of forum, we explore why. Joining us for this conversation, I'm excited to welcome Fernando Hurtado, a producer and editor with the NBC-owned TV stations NBC LX, a new millennial Gen Z news network. Fernando Hurtado, thanks so much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me.
2: Also with us is Lalo Alcaraz, creator of the syndicated daily comic strip La Cucaracha, author, entertainment consultant, and co host of the Pocho Hour of Power on KPFK and founder of the satirical website pocho.com. Lalo Alcaraz, thanks so much for joining us. And hey, sorry. That's I, all right. I, forgot I, where the music was. I was like, you're Hi, there, right? Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, glad to have you. Also with us is Joanna Hausman, a Venezuelan-American comedian, writer, actress, and co-host of the Hyphenated podcast. Joanna Hausman, also so glad to have you here as well.
1: Muchas well, thank yous. I thought that I would make it appropriate to the conversation. Oh, so <laughs> perfect.
2: And I will start with you then. So Spanglish, as you just demonstrated, and as the word suggests, is a blend of English and Spanish languages. But how else would you describe what Spanglish is? Because it's so much more than that.
1: I think for me, Spanglish is the representation of what a lot of Latinx people feel, right? Which is we are 100% Latin. We're also 100% American. And Spanglish is sort of the symbol of that, right? It's a symbolic expression of our duality. And, you know, I always say I am not fluent in English or Spanish. I'm fluent in Spanglish. I feel like I need both to really express myself at one hundred percent, so it's kind of become a a representation of how I feel about my identity, huh. and I think about how a lot of people feel about their identities.
2: Uh, Fernando, other, would you add anything to that? What is?
4: Yeah, I question? think one one quote that really resonates with me is that. And this is something Becky G. told me for a story I interviewed her on. Mm. She says, we are not doing the crossover. We are the crossover. And I think Spanglish is one of those things that really does, like Joanna said, embrace that hyphenated identity.
2: Well, let's talk about how it's used, because, for example, we asked our Spanglish using staff members for examples. And so uh, Blanca, for example, Blanca Torres, our producer, says it's a dropping in of English and Spanish words such as Donde está el mall? For where is the mall? But it sounds like it can also be a mashup of words like "que farida javla Romero and Juan Martinez told us they use "vamos a parquear la troca" or "vamos a parquear la pickup." <laughs> so they they're sort of blending these words. Lalo Alcaraz. So are these two examples of Spanglish? Are there other ways that it gets used?
5: I mean, there's other words for those. You know, uh, to me, Spanglish is uh, you know, um, coping mechanism too uh, for uh, <laughs> Spanish speakers. You know, um, and also, of course, things don't translate always. But um, what you just described is kind of it's Spanglish. They call them Gringoisms too. You know, and uh, there's there's just many ways to kind of look at the at, at Spanglish uh, as a phenomenon.
2: So then, Lalo Alcaraz, what are some of the Spanglish words or phrases that you tend to use a lot?
5: Well, um, I guess, you know, I'm, most, I'm like English dominant. Spanish is my first language. And I say híjole a lot for everything. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, 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 I don't know about, um, you know, uh, as a cartoonist, you know, I have to translate my comic strip into Spanish. And so, man, it's like that part of the brain gets uh, exercised every (laughs) week. And I have to, like, cope with looking up words for app, you know, which is in Spanish is Mm. app. And, uh, you know, stuff like I have to pray that the editor on the other end realizes I have to use kind of, you know, Spanglish to get my point across here. Unless I am, like, on purpose writing a Spanglish sentence, you know, where my characters might say, orale, what's that, what's happening, you know, and uh, like like so. So I use it in very, you know, many different ways.
2: How about you, Joanna Hausman? What are words or phrases that you use a lot or or situations or activities where you find it comes out more
1: readily? So I feel like there's like three versions of Spanish. Like there's like three columns, right? One of them is just taking an English word and morphing it Um, into Spanish, for example. So adding E-A-R at the end of anything can make it Spanish, like parquear, parquear, or, uh, you know, email, email, like uh, on a lot of these words that are basically in English and don't, as Lalo said, don't have a translation in Spanish, you kind of just morph it into the language by adding a bunch of vowels. Because I mean, Spanish, we love our vowels, you know what I'm saying? So that's like one way. The second way, I think, is just dropping in words that kind of fit better. And, you know, in these languages, in English and Spanish, there are a lot of gaps. You know, the word for sobremesa doesn't exist in English. Sobremesa is the term for when you, after eating a meal, you hang out at the table, um, but then there's really no direct translation for the word compromise in Spanish. This actually isn't compromiso. So there's a lot mm. of these gaps that if you just fill in with the other language, I mean, you get the perfect, you get the perfect language. And I, you know, I always say i love, I love doing my taxes in English and I love writing poetry in Spanish. Um, why not use both? Well, um, what does it say about English that you love using it for taxes? It is the <laughs> most, let me tell you something there's very few language with such an economy of words in English. Like it is clean. It is to the point when I need to, you know, build an Ikea furniture, I go straight to the English instructions. I don't even mess with the Spanish <laughs> instructions, but then, you know, I, I love reading novels in Spanish cause there's just such a richness there. So these, these pluses and minuses, you know, when, when they join together, it really makes for such a wonderful mix. Um, and then I think the third version is this subconscious Spanglish, which is I'm guilty of, which is I don't say um or like as much as I do este and como que. And so my filler words, even if I'm speaking in English, este como que, I just like drop these in <laughs> to the point where I don't know if this has happened to you guys, but like I, in my first job in New York, people thought I had a speech impediment because they just assumed I was like a girl oh from Minnesota gosh. who like had a weird, like este como que, like a weird tick and it turns out that it was just you know my spanish coming out a little bit
2: um fernando Hurtado, well persia on instagram wrote to us and said it means that when i get nervous the spanglish hits hard especially especialmente on stage oh my god today is so gonna test my high school spanish here um but fernando Hurtado, are there situations or activities when you find it comes out more readily as well I
4: mean, anytime I'm talking to my mom, uh, like if I'm going on a hike, I just can't get myself to say, voy a hacer una caminata, because that, I grew up in Chicago, very much American, but very much Mexican as well. And it's just too formal for me. So I'll say, Ma voy a hikear con amigos, or if I'm going to check something, like voy a chequear algo, instead of revisar, sounds too formal. And then on the work front, this is a little more subtle, but I, I anytime as a like an affirmative, instead of saying... We're publishing that tomorrow. No, I'll say we're publishing that tomorrow. No, it, and it's a subtle difference, but it just the no. It's it's just more more natural to me. The no just sounds so so boring, so so, so short. The no the no uh, has more flavor.
1: It's we're- like kinder, isn't
5: it? <laughs> yeah, it's more inviting. It's like a no, but I see.
1: Oh,
2: like a softer way of saying. <laughs> hey, can that. I
5: can I say this, Lalo? Um, And we're talking about how beautiful Spanish is. Definitely my favorite. Premial word is uh, provecho, which is so much nicer than bon appetit, you know, it just doesn't, <laughs> which is French. Yeah, now and you're that, going after French. <laughs> Old another show. Right. But, exactly. Um, and also uh, Spanish is, is definitely, you know, it's a romance language and it is 30%, you know, it has 30% more words uh, than English, <laughs> which is hilarious because one word in Spanish can mean a hundred different things uh and uh so and and yes english is definitely uh technical in the language of uh accounting now no
1: well, you know i love that you said that there's 30 percent more words because a lot of people don't know that also you know latin america there's like a bunch of different nationalities there right and we can't seem to uh have an agreement on words for innocuous things like straw. So there's 14 <laughs> words for straw. There's like 30 words for popcorn. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and half it, of
5: them mean genitalia. If you know. They do.
1: Half of them do accidentally mean genitalia in other <laughs> countries. <laughs> well, I was
2: laughing Joanna Hausman at your podcast hyphenated, where you were talking about getting, you know, the audio recording when you're t- touring, uh, a site, for example, and the Spanish language version being like six minutes long and the English version being two minutes long. <laughs>
1: I, every time I go, I was going, I I love that you brought this up. I was in Spain. I love museums and I just, you know, I'm a Spanish speaker. That's my first language. So I was proud to say, I I really want the Spanish language uh, tape or tour to be able to, you know, really mesh into the Spaniard culture and look at Goya with like a man shushing in my ear and um, lisping. And I just couldn't do it. It was like my, my husband had the English tour and he'd be done like with the entire room in five minutes and five minutes later, I'm still in front of the same painting and it still has like eight minutes to go can It's like, why is it taking this long? Can we shorten this a little bit, man? <laughs> like- we're talking with Joanna
2: Houseman, Venezuelan American comedian, writer, actress, and co host of the hyphenated podcast. Lalo Alcaraz, creator of the syndicated daily comic strip La Cucaracha, an author and entertainment consultant. We're also talking with Fernando Hurtado, a producer and editor with the NBC owned TV stations and NBC LX, a new millennial and Gen Z news network. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Are you living your life in Spanglish? How does it show up? Which Spanglish phrases do you love? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. And do you speak a different hybrid language? And. Is what you're hearing resonating with you? You can also email us, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. I'm going to read a comment from Martha, who writes, I was born in the U.S., but my first language was Spanish. I'm no longer fluent, but there are still words that are their truest selves, only in Spanish to me, mostly household words that I learned as a child. I also love hearing others speak Spanglish. Once on the 12 Folsom bus, I heard a school-aged child say, My sister is always crying. She's like, Hella Llorona. Stay with us more after the break.
3: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
6: My name is Gustavo, and I am calling from San Francisco. And just following up on what it means to speak
3: Spanglish,
6: I think as an immigrant from Mexico, it was really the way that I was able to communicate um, across generations, especially coming from a household where Spanish was definitely the first language that we learned how to speak. Um, and it's the only language that, like, for example, my grandparents, a lot of my older aunts and uncles They only speak Spanish, so it's really that in-between that helps us as Mexican-Americans really communicate, keep a lot of that Latinx flavor alive, but also at the core of it, it's just how we communicate uh, with the older generations who do not speak English.
2: Well, thanks, Gustavo. We're talking about the growing use and acceptance of Spanglish. And I loved that comment. We're joined by Lalo Alcaraz, a creator of the syndicated daily comic strip La Cucaracha, author and entertainment consultant. Also Joanna Houseman, a Venezuelan American comedian, writer and actress and Fernando Hurtado, a producer and editor with NBC LX. And you, our listeners are with us telling us about speaking hybrid languages and in particular Spanglish and how Spanglish shows up in your life and what it means to you to speak Spanglish. The number 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or at KQED Forum on Instagram. Uh, email forum at kqed.org. All right. So, Fernando thought, I just want to talk with you a little bit about a project that you did with regard to Spanglish because it actually inspired uh, Blanca to produce today's segment for Forum as well. But one of the things that you really wanted to explore was how Spanglish is growing. And so what did you find out? Is it becoming as popular and ubiquitous as you thought?
4: So the consensus seems to be that it's becoming more popular and ubiquitous than I thought. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) I talked to um, two linguists, one in San Antonio, who uh, she teaches at St. Mary's University. Uh, She actually teaches a class on Spanish, uh, Spanglish, sorry. And then I talked to another linguist uh, also in Texas. I see, I think we see a trend there. Um, and they, they, and and then I also talked to a professor of Latino culture at Amherst. Um, and they seem to to think that, yes, it is growing. And it's, it's, we're in this kind of inflection point where we're not just seeing it in music and songs, which I think a lot of us are used to seeing in like Taki um, Taki or Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. Um, mm-hmm. But we're seeing it um, in um, more of, uh, formal aspects a little with, I think Joanna is actually a perfect example of this, of like podcasts that really do uh, embrace that, that, that Spanglish uh, hybrid uh, language. And then we're also seeing it for the first time ever in politics with uh, people like representative uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Marco Rubio, who maybe don't speak Spanglish every day, but there have been interviews where they have uh, used the, the language.
2: And Lala Acaraz, you must be seeing this too because aren't you writing shows that use Spanglish like isn't there a demand uh now for characters who are Spanglish speakers
5: Well yes I work on a show for Nickelodeon called The Casa Grandes and uh, it's a, a kid show animated 6 to 11 age group and we uh we fight for every inch of screen time with some spanglish uh that that we every chance we get uh if if it's either kind of you know we have to be cognizant of the audience but since our show over indexes uh 35 latino audiences uh we figure this is a place to have some uh show the the multi-generational character of our family our characters our household of the Casa Grandes, you know, you're going to have Spanglish in there. You're going to have blurts of uh, all Spanish. You know, you're going to have characters speaking just English, you know, and it's just a reflection of Mexican-American life, you know, only since, you know, 1848
2: or so. Um, Well, I know that uh, our producer, Blanca, pulled actually a clip from Casa Grandes, and it feels like – it All might right. be a good one to play right now. Let me just make sure that our... Um...
5: I'm going to get a raise out of this.
2: <laughs> um, but before before we play it, I want to ask you about something you said. You said there's like good Spanglish and not good Spanglish. So can you give us <laughs> an example of, you know, how Hollywood, for example, gets it wrong
5: a lot of times? Well, you know, I want to keep working in Hollywood, so I'm not going to name names, but... Um... <laughs> There might be a show or a movie out there that has used Spanglish uh, and abused it, (laughs) kind of like, you know, and a bad way of of writing Spanglish is, you know, thinking that Spanglish is one word English and one word Spanish repeat, Uh. uh, you know, through a whole paragraph. And that that is just gibberish. You know, it doesn't really (laughs) it doesn't flow. You know, language comes from necessity and from use, and that's why we make up words like parquear, because it's easier, and that's how characters should speak in, uh, you know, to reflect reality and and not like, you know, know, mira, the cielo esta is azul, you know, that's not Spanglish, that is just...
1: How many times, Lalo, have you heard just a, a show and all they do is say mijo and mija 800 times? And they're like, that's Latin enough. We just put that in there and we're done. <laughs> Well, let's hear how Casa
2: Grandez does it. Uh, uh,
7: maybe I'll play it safe and stick with the pancakes. Ah! Uh. They're jalapeno pancakes.
0: Milk. <gasps> Milk. Say leche, leche. Uh. Uh.
7: That's Carlito says, "Ghost Pepper Lenching." <laughs> Get it out! My eye, I?
2: My eye. Not ow my eye. Ay mi ojo. Ay mi ojo. Muy bien. <laughs> That's a scene from the Nickelodeon cartoon Las Casas Grandes, can, which I guess can Laura I say? Uh, can I comment Please? real quick
5: on that? Uh, okay, there's a lot going on in there, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, saying you know part of that has a little bit of translation for the kids saying, you know, leche, leche. And that's like more of a nod to the audience, but it's, you know, in the scene, it's a little, a baby, you know, they're kind of teaching them words. So it works on, on two levels. Um, But that is definitely like, you know, how, uh, how any household, a bilingual household uh, might uh, um, have breakfast, you know, like my, and, 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 and my kids made up, uh, uh, a word uh, when they were little for uh, English muffins, and they called them circle pan, you know. So that's like a pretty <laughs> organic cute. way of yeah. describing muffins. And then, cute. real quick, the ojo is literally a thing that I wrote uh, uh, based on an old family incident that happened in mexico city when my mom almost poked some guy's eye out riding the bus and he (laughs) shouted "¡Ay, mi ojo!" and so that became a runner in our show uh and i just think it's hilarious uh even though the the showrunner looks at me sideways like that's not funny
2: (laughs) go to caller raul in foster city hi raul join us
6: hi hello can you hear me
2: yeah i can go right ahead
6: great so uh I I, I call them because I uh, I was born raised in Mexico. Most of my life still, even though I've been 18 years in the Bay Area, uh, and I I don't speak Spanish, and I don't know if it is because I was embedded in in a Spanish speaking country, and then actually English is my third language. I was bilingual with German, but I do see the effect with my kids. I mean, uh, nine and thirteen year olds who I keep on yelling at home, D- "You speak whatever you want, but not English at home." You know, so that, I feel that that's the only opportunity that they will have to properly learn another language, and then they might be able to mix them. And uh, I, I do see it as a, as a cultural uh, richness that it's only on me and my wife to provide to my kids. And then, like all your guests, I mean, I, I hear them and they speak Spanish perfectly, but I have never understood why they mix. I mean, when does that happen? And I have a bunch of friends here that actually speak Spanish, and I might switch between English and Spanish, but I try to make my most effort to avoid mixing the two languages.
2: But why do you do that, Raúl? Why do you avoid know. it? I
6: mean, it's it's. I uh, well, I mean, I always look for the right word in the in the right in the same language I'm communicating. So it's, to me, I don't know how it what's ingrained in me, embedded that mm. you're speaking <laughs> Spanish or you're speaking English or you're speaking German. But uh, yeah. and, and still, I mean, you will mix them. And there's uh, just last week I had a, an issue because I tend to say when I when I write um, I don't know an answer. I might write it like thinking in Spanish. I ignore the answer, but that's like the 15th century use of the word ignore in English nowadays. (laughs) But ignorancia or ignorance is still the same meaning in English, you know? So that's the part that uh, sometimes troubles me, but I I wouldn't like to mix it.
2: Well, Raul, it's so interesting you say that because this listener, Joanna, writes, my Latino parents often scolded my siblings and me for our use of both Spanish and English at the same time. They wanted us to communicate in one sole language. Some lingual purists frown upon concurrently mixing two languages. However, I consider it a gift. Joanna Hasman, has this been an experience for you of just this sense of not wanting to mix the languages or oftentimes, you know, I find if I'm around relatives or fluent language speakers that I'm more hesitant to speak the language. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I mean I have been like scowled at by most of my family for, for mixing and sort of uh sort of almost using the other language as a crutch at times. Um, so you know for a while I I felt shame. I felt ashamed that sometimes I wouldn't remember the word for Mirror in Spanish, and I just say I I me quiero ver en el mirror. Or I couldn't remember the word for grocery in English, and I said mercado. And it it used to be a point of um, almost embarrassment sometimes. And then as the years sort of passed by, and I became wiser, um, I I think I started feeling more um, and 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 seeing more people use Spanglish proudly. I started being more reflected in, in media, but also in people around me. And I stopped seeing it as a, as a, as a, as a weakness. Mm. Um, I started seeing it as just a reality. I'm, a lot of us are bilaterally bilingual. That means that we literally have the same grasp in both languages. Other of us have more of a grasp in English or more of a grasp in Spanish. Um, But I think that we're moving into a new era where, you know, a lot of people in the past wanted to assimilate. And a lot of people were told by their parents, you need to assimilate. Don't speak in in Spanish. We want you to assimilate to American culture. And I think we're living in a new reality where there's this pride um, of, of, of our identity and diversity. And having a little sprinkle of Spanish here and there is sort of prideful for me. It makes me feel very proud of where yes. I come from. And as someone who looks like an Irish barmaid, um, <laughs> I don't look like what Hollywood has told you Latin people look like. My Spanish is a badge of honor of, and sort of a calling card to uh, justify my identity, to show that I am truly what I am. And Spanglish has truly sort of given me that in, in the English-speaking world when I mm. drop in a Spanish word here and there. Well, Fernando, one
2: thing I was struck by when you did your project on Spanglish was that it was inspired by watching an influencer on Instagram kind of seamlessly using English and Spanish and and using Spanglish and that you had this visceral reaction where you felt so represented and reflected. And I couldn't help but wonder why the need to be validated. Right. Meaning, what have we done where we've made people feel bad about Spanglish?
4: I mean, I'll compare it to I I almost cried when I saw the In the Heights trailer, the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical movie that's coming out. Mm. And I didn't realize why, but I realized five minutes later after I, I had a few tears in my eyes that it was because I had never really felt like so like reflected in in media like this was like spot on all the Latino actors uh, in that trailer that that I watched and I didn't quite cry when I saw the influence the content creators videos uh, where he was making a (laughs) cocktail uh in spanglish but it was I was just like laughing and enjoying it and understanding every nook and cranny of that and I think it's because yes for the most part it's been very binary where you're either watching English stuff with your friends and then Purely Spanish stuff with your family. In the case, in my case, and there was never really that full embrace of the the hy- the hybrid language, where it might be eighty percent English and twenty percent uh, Spanish. Mm-hmm. I, I, I to this day, I like I don't have a constant source of that.
2: The other thing that it's made me think about is why it really does cut so deep when we're told we're speaking a language incorrectly, or when we're corrected or made fun of. Do you have any thoughts on that, Fernando?
4: Yeah, I think Spanglish has always been seen, at least in my family, as a a dirty taboo language growing up. It was like, we're going to Mexico every summer to visit family. Speak, habla bien, speak well, speak right, uh, speak only Spanish. Spanglish isn't going to cut it. So all of a sudden, it kind of just puts your entire identity into question where you're like, wait a minute, like, this is what comes naturally to me. What comes naturally to me is not allowed and it's not appropriate for pretty much any scenario is is what I heard uh all, all my life. It was switched into one or another. I did uh internships in, in Spanish media in college and that's where I felt really embarrassed where I was doing um sweepstakes for the TV station in Spanish, uh, like reaching out to the contestants who had won. And I, I called one, uh they didn't pick up so I left the voicemail and I was like, llamame para atrás, which is a direct translation of called me back, which now I learned that that, that's a calc and that's a a, 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 um, a false translation is what it's called when you do a literal translation, aka not correct and and not not right. Uh, But that's what came naturally to me. I I hang up the phone and my supervisor just is like staring at me with like this disgust in his eyes. Mm. He's like, what did you say? I was like, oh, he's like no he's like that's not how you say that and that was like i think one of the most embarrassing moments i've, I've had i had in my intern career
2: yeah I, I can relate i mean i often feel like it's painful too because we're defined in the u.s by by as an other by this identity that then shuns you when you use the language <laughs> wrong so there's this it makes me wonder lara wakaraz if some of that correcting comes from a place of pain like well, that sure. Pers- I mean, yeah. uh, um,
5: my, you know, my uh, my mom, it only my mom's a Mexican immigrant. My parents were Mexican immigrants. Uh, I, I grew up on the, the San Diego side of the border, uh, which was in denial of uh, being on the Mexican border. Uh, so that was weird. Um, and uh, we were always discriminated against uh, as Mexicans or Mexican-Americans uh, or Chicanos. And uh, still, my mom, it it only took her 50 years to learn English. And uh, she, uh, you know, she she was cool with uh, whatever way I wanted to communicate. Mm -hmm. So uh, hence the mess that I am now. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, I I understand. If if we understand history, we know that, you know, uh, kids were beaten uh, for uh, speaking Spanish. So, uh, you know, schools, separate schools were made. So that they didn't have to mix with the white kids, Mexican kids, you know. Uh, so we, we know uh, the deep, deep roots of uh, discrimination yes. uh, uh, around language.
2: Joanna, you've talked about how the purism factor, the judgment factor, <laughs> and, and constantly Latinos constantly wanting to revoke the Latino card, as you put it um, in your, oh, yeah. your podcast. Do you see that still strong? Do you see it dying down? I don't know if there's there's more you want to say about this sense that like speaking perfect Spanish is almost like a prerequisite for being fully Latino in, in some people's eyes.
1: You know, it's interesting because when I started college, uh, I, I really wanted to meet people kind of like me. So I remember I went to the Latino house um, and I arrived at the Latino house and the person that was there was like oh my god I'm so sorry were you looking for the women's study house because this is the Latino house and I'm like no 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 I'm I'm Latina I'm from Venezuela and I just started speaking in Spanish right like immediately and she was like oh my god I'm so sorry to make that judgment by the way I I don't speak Spanish um you know my name is Carolina whatever so here are two Latinas right here are two people who identify as Latina one of them doesn't look like what is perceived as Latina, but speaks Spanish. And the other one has the name of a Latina, but doesn't, doesn't speak Spanish or I speak Spanish. She doesn't speak Spanish. And in, in this whole, like, um, you know, checking each other, I remember I was like, Oh my God, I, I, I am not. I'm judging her for not speaking Spanish. I was like, she's not Latina. And then she was judging me for not being Latina. So um, I guess there's always a judgment, you know, uh, there's always a judgment for each other. There's, we're always trying to revoke, but it's about understanding that there's there's different identities and there's different ways of of embracing that Latina. Dad. Sorry, the producer's telling me to hurry up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we will dig into that embracing and empowerment right after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim.
3: Have a My English is not
2: We're talking about. The growing use and acceptance of Spanglish with Fernando Hurtado, a producer and editor with NBC/LX. Joanna Houseman, a Venezuelan-American comedian, writer, actress, and co-host of the Hyphenated podcast. Also, Lalo Alcaraz is with us, creator of the syndicated daily comic strip La Cucaracha, author, entertainment consultant, co-host of the Pocho Hour of Power on KPFK and founder of the satirical website, Pocho.com. And you, our listeners, are with us. And let me read some of your comments. Marcy writes, I learned some Spanish growing up in a Chicano household and am completely not immersed in it as an adult. However, a third-generation Texican living in San Francisco, Spanglish is the bridge and code switch that I use whenever I go back to those cultural cornerstones, particularly with family and heritage exposure to my mixed white Chicano child. Greg writes, I lived in Mexico City with my then one year old. She spoke Spanish there, but when we moved back to the States, she started speaking English and came up with some great neologisms like downtake for pajate, here meaning get out of bed. And she also told me that someone she didn't like was groseropatico, meaning <laughs> mixing up of simpatico and grosero. Groseropatico, maybe, is the correct way of saying that. Uh, and this listener tweets, uh, Spanglish has also become a thing in the non-Latinx community. Spanglish is the lingua franca for those of us in Spanish-speaking neighborhoods in L.A. Maybe similar to Canadians and French. Huh, that's so interesting. Let me go to caller Irene in Sacramento. Hi, Irene. Hi, Irene. Are you there? And while we wait to connect with Irene, let me go to Yoli in San Francisco. Hi, Yoli. Hi. Uh, yeah, I am
7: definitely uh, Mexican-American and identified with the term Pocho. You know, I was born in the, in 1965, so growing up in that era, you either came from a family who said, don't practice Spanish, or you came from a family that's, that really uh, embraced their Mexican heritage. And fortunately, I came from that. But growing up in the United States, and having other siblings, and among the siblings, we spoke English. So whenever I had to speak to my elders in Spanish, I was speaking Spanglish all the time. <laughs> and um back then, too, the, the term pocho was kind of derogatory. Like, it, it wasn't a very nice thing, you know, to be called a pocho. But uh, I totally embraced it because it it really described my culture. Mm-hmm. Because I was never really seen, like, you know, in the United States, they don't see you as a U.S. citizen. Even if you're born here, if you're a Latino, they think you came from another country. You know, they never assume that you are born and raised here. They always say, where are you from? And, of course, when we would go back to visit Mexico, I realized that some of, um, some of like, culturally I could identify, but there were some things that weren't, like, you know, like the whole machoism and, and things like that was not – something I could really adapt to back there, back there at home. So I wasn't completely Mexican. I wasn't completely American. Uh, I was completely 100% Puerto power, and <laughs> I embraced that and loved it. And, and just to comment a little bit more on, like, how we judge, Latinos judge each other, like how Latino you are and, and things like that. The one, the one thing that unifies us all is la chancla.
5: <laughs> that's all i have to say y- yoli is speaking my language
2: <laughs> wow I, what is la chancla did i say that right
5: <laughs> uh, la chancla it is uh, the slipper
2: it
7: is the discipline i'll i'll, I'll let you guys talk i'm really all right thanks Yoli. really, call really appreciate it, the call.
5: it is it is the most popular form of corporal punishment and uh really uh <laughs> Uh, more of a threat than actual uh, punishment, but uh, it works. It's very effective.
2: Uh, um, I on, see.
5: Uh, well, about Mexican children.
2: J- Joanna Hussman, we had to cut you off before we were going into the break there. And I love what Yoli had to say because it reminds me of what you said, which is, you know, moving towards this embracing of and reclaiming, or I don't even know if you want to say reclaiming, but, but, Fully, uh, fully embracing your your Spanglish identity, your bicultural identity, your hyphenated identity, and I wonder how you did that, or or what you're seeing around you that's happening, uh, especially among younger generations that that are basically like saying enough of the judgment around Spanglish. This is fully who I am.
1: I think it comes hand in hand with. Sort of really understanding what it means to be Latinx. I think for so cool. many years, um, it's it's almost been like we're we're put in this bucket, right? And it's like we're all kind of the same, is what they're telling us. And you know we we hear it on the campaign trail all the time. You know we need the Latino vote. It's like, all right, what does that even mean? Right. That's over twenty different countries. That's different generations. That's different levels of of immigration status. I mean, you're talking about an incredibly diverse group of people, and putting a name on that is 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 difficult. It exists, but it it's difficult. And I think that a lot of the pushback and a lot of the you know, ah, you're not Latino. Oh, she's not Latino. Is because we are rejecting the monolithic uh, interpretation of what Latino means. Um, We want to be seen as diverse and different, like eh, Fernando, me and Lalo have completely different Latinx experiences, completely different. And I think that we want to celebrate those differences. And I think that we're seeing a lot of very specific storytelling being told. So it's not, you know, just a Latinx story. It is a Mexican-American story. It is a Cuban-American story. It is, we're seeing more, um, you know, nuance in storytelling and diversity in our storytelling. And I think that that's where this new, I think, embrace of Spanglish is coming. It's we can all be Latino as long as we understand and celebrate the diversity and differences that exist within within us.
2: Well, I think we've got Irene back. Irene, join us. Yes,
1: a
8: very interesting subject. Thank you for having me. Uh, I was lucky enough to live in Mexico about half of my life. And I learned four languages in, in school and at home, and we were not allowed to, you know, use any other language in those uh, in the other classes. However, later on in my professional career as a uh, clinical auditor, um, I went one time to Spain, and I asked its doctor to tell me where his computer was so that I could review the records. And I said the word computadora, and he looks at me like I'm from, you know, space. <laughs> and so I, I showed him what it was. And he says, oh, you mean el ordenador.
6: And like, okay, el ordenador,
8: where I have audited in Latin America and Mexico for several times, and no one ever told me that, the, you know, computadora is the ordenador. The other thing I wanted to say in regard to one of your subjects, what you uh, said, is that in the United States, I also have found that there is a judgment factor because many times if I see somebody that I think they speak Spanish, I love speaking Spanish with them, okay? That was my, my main language, well, my second language. But in the EU, I can speak any language that I know anywhere I want, and nobody is going to look at me like I have been looked at here in the United States. Mm. And my last thing is that as a medical interpreter, the important part of, of a language, I think, is to convey what the person or in a book the author wants to say, not to translate verbatim, because if we translate verbatim, we will not get nowhere. And that's about it. You know, other than if I think of a word that I want to say in Spanish many times, the hebrew German French and, and you know, English come up to my brain, except the word that I need in Spanish. And I don't know if any of your other guests have that problem. And all I can say is, eco de la mañana, you know, because it's like <laughs> frustration. Uh, but... Uh,
2: I mean, well, thank you. I'm glad
8: that we have all these words in Spanish.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you for that comment. I want to read this from Leslie who writes, Since my mom moved to the U.S. when she was 30 and didn't learn English until then, she was always worried that, like her, I would feel left out. Because of this, she never taught me Spanish, only lived near. And... Near And made sure we only socialized with white people and never taught me much about my culture. She thought it was the right thing to do. The closest thing I got was listening to Suavemente by Elvis Crespo on cleaning days. We're trying to make up for it now. But I really feel like I missed out. We're trying to make up for it now. I'm so struck by that. I wonder if... I mean, her talking about trying to make up for it now does suggest this transition has happened. And I'm wondering, uh, Fernando Ortado, what implications you feel like this increasing embrace of Spanglish, what implications it has for our understanding of hyphenated identities generally?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I was struck to hear that there are so many hybrid languages in the US, whether it's like Singapore English, uh, Pole American, Polish and, and English. Um, and I think it, it's it's we have to really pay close attention to how the, the kids and the youth are talking. At least that's what one linguist I, I spoke to said. That's the future of language. If you want to know what the future of a language is, look at what the kids are talking and you'll see time and time again, these toddlers mixing words and saying, I want that toy. Acá. I want that toy here. Um, and I think it's certainly something to pay attention to because it's hard to turn that switch off and just like tell a kid to stop speaking Spanglish. So I think we will see it more um in higher ranks of of life. Uh, Miguel uh uh Carmona the the education secretary, he used Spanglish in his uh nomination and acceptance speech uh, with uh president joe biden um and that that struck me where i was like i don't i i I could be wrong but i don't think we've heard a spanglish in in a cabinet acceptance speech i think we're hmm. seeing it in higher higher rungs and it's something to pay close attention to one last thing it's not just latinos i think uh there's not I think I know that there's uh white Americans who use Spanglish to speak to people they work with. One example yes. is this this man named Jimmy in Texas. He's white construction, he works in construction, and to speak to his uh mostly uh Latino uh, construction workers, he has to use Spanglish and words like troca, pachanga. He says he, he says pachanga. Like. He also says another expletive that I won't say here, but it starts with chin and it ends with dera. You can fill in the gap there uh, <laughs> and it's to refer to a trinket or, or a thing. So I think we're seeing it expand beyond the the, the Spanish speaking community.
2: Well, Maddie writes, and kind of all, to your point. Yeah, workers,
5: Go ahead. Can I just say all those workers don't sound like Latinos to me. They sound pretty Mexican, especially the C-H word. uh,
4: (laughs) Oh, yeah, very Mexican. It's Austin, Texas, so you can guess.
5: Yeah, our contractor started uh, talking to me in Spanish the minute he met uh, me, uh, and he felt comfortable. And he's an old white dude, you know, so yeah, for sure. And can I just say real quick? Please. um, What Yoli was saying about uh, Pocho Power is basically what uh, I've built my whole career on, which is reclaiming pochismo uh, and uh, making it a term of pride. And look, society's catching up to me. Isn't that (laughs) wonderful?
2: You're ahead of your time. Lala Alcaraz, yes, he is joining us along with Joanna Hausman and Fernando Hurtado. We're talking about the growing use and acceptance of Spanglish and the broader implications it has for hyphenated identities. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. I, I want to read this comment from Maddie, who writes, Growing up, we spoke Dutch at home and English outside the home. When I visited my cousin in Holland and was trying very hard to speak pure Dutch, I tried to tell her I worked part-time. As I laboriously explained in my limited Dutch that the hours I worked each week were less than the normal number of hours, she exclaimed, oh, you mean part-time. <laughs> I guess they speak Dinglish in Holland, too. <laughs> I'll add Konglish to that. There's definitely that in Korea as well. This this point, all these points that I'm hearing, uh, Joanna Hausman, reminds me of of a point you made about how hyphenated identities Are beginning to no longer be seen as diminishing, that having a hyphenated identity can actually be seen as as being more than. Can you talk a little bit more about that, about living in the hyphen and and how the understanding of that is changing?
1: Yeah, I think that for a long time, and I I include myself in this, I thought identity was like a percentage, right? It's like a pie. So you, it's, uh, there's 100%. So it's, you know, I'm 50% Venezuelan, 50% American. Um, that means I'm not 100% anything, but I think we're moving towards a new understanding of identity where you can be 100% anything and just adding another word in, in, in the hyphen that is you is not taking away from the previous words. Um, and I think that that's something that it's it still, I think people are struggling with and I'm struggling with as well. I, when I talk to my, my family in Venezuela, I feel like a gringa. But then sometimes when I'm talking to my friends here, I feel like, you know, I don't know who John Candy is. I like say English sayings wrong. It's like murder two birds with a stick. Um, you know, there's, I, I have gaps of knowledge in both, both places. But that doesn't take away my identity. So it's looking at stuff not as a pie but as a hyphen, I think is helpful.
2: Well, Green Chicano tweets, regardless of how one identifies, our relationship to the Spanish language can come with many facets. It's a tool of power, meaning, and expression. To me, Spanglish is a form of expression, especially one that captures at minimum the duality of many Latinx in the U.S. It represents a synergy and struggle of cultural wayfinding and expression, especially as newer generations grapple with the use of and loss of Spanish. Let me go to Wilfredo in San Mateo. Hi, Wilfredo.
9: Uh, hi, how are you? Actually, uh, I I go by Willie. Okay. Uh, that's another thing that happens to to us. I was born here in San Francisco. Uh, well, I, I was going to say that, you know, I grew up with Spanglish. It was just the way we communicated among, you know, my siblings. You know, we'd had words like uh, uh, pushar for push or go <laughs> to, uh, you know, uh, my, my parents would have me go to the sto- store on the corner. You know, I had friends that... Uh, went to Stanford, you know. Uh, So we grew up with all those things. And I do find it uh, that is my identity. You know, uh, when people ask me, oh, where are you from? When they hear me speak Spanish, I say San Francisco, you know, and then they go, oh, no, no, really? You know, well, (laughs) that's the identity Uh, that that I grew up with, even though I speak perfect Spanish and I am a medical interpreter as well. well, And uh, I I, and the the one thing I was going to say is, over the years, me and my my best friend, he's El Salvadorian, and my parents are from Nicaragua. We would make up words for fun. Uh, so his nickname for me, I can't say some of them because they're a little bit off color. But uh, uh, he would call, my name is Wilfredo, he'd call me Pedro, And over time, uh, if the other people listening know what that means, that means uh, uh, Will fart. So <laughs> I, I found it to be very... Uh, uh, you know, endearing. And uh, and then the we would do things like just speak in vosotros and just add the AIS to everything that we're t- saying nonstop, yeah. just for fun. So it's kind of celebrating it at the same time and acknowledging that we were Americans. I always thought I was like, leave it to beaver and just ate rice and beans and tortillas. You know, that's the era that I grew up with. So uh, well- I embrace it. I don't find it You know, you can have those. That's what America is to me. Yeah. All these different uh, identities.
2: Well, thanks. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I do want to ask that last question. And maybe, Lalo, you're the best person to ask this. But is Spanglish as open as we're saying it is right now? Because you were talking about uh, a white person speaking to you in Spanglish. And Fernando was talking about uh, the person speaking with construction workers in Spanglish. I mean, is it okay for other non-Latino or non-Spanish speaking people to use it? (laughs) Or is that weird sometimes?
5: I fully believe in reverse assimilation, so yes. <laughs> okay,
2: that is.
4: Can
5: I say Fernando New means-
4: Yorkers? New Yorkers use it all the time, and they're about to realize it because every time they go to the bodega, which is pronounced bodega, they're speaking Spanglish, <laughs> and it's a full embrace of Spanglish.
2: You That's think so right. too, Joanna Hausman? That it's it's cool that it, it, there is room. It's not Spanglish itself is not going to become its own kind of club.
1: I think that in 200 years, everyone's going to be speaking Spanglish. So, you know, better hop on quickly and learn and become fluent (laughs) because we love it. I love it. So
2: it will become a third language. You heard it here. The prediction was here. This listener tweets, What Spanglish is to me is my native language. I don't speak or think in one language. I don't dream in one language. My mind is in a space dedicated to balancing two tongues, two cultures, two cuisines, two codes to switch between. Fuimos al safeway, fuimos al safeway para unas llevas Pero no había donde parquear. <laughs> so, thanks for that, this listener, who remains anonymous. Thank you, Joanna Hausman, Venezuelan American comedian, writer, and actress. Thank you, Fernando Hurtado, producer and editor with NBC LX, and Lalo Alcaraz, a creator of the syndicated daily comic strip La Caracha. You've been listening to Forum. Blanca Torres produced this segment. Thank you so much to KQED in Español for your help with audience outreach. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum.
0: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.
3: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sarriaho's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward.